0: You are listening to the Digitalization and Industry 4 podcast, featuring a wide range of topics of matter in business, technology and management, connected to the rapid technology development and digitalization. Hello and welcome to this episode with me, Danar. With the recent trend of innovation in today's digital age, I want to understand how organizations can create a culture for continuous innovation. What can industrial companies learn from startups? How will new technologies change current business models? To discuss these topics and more, I met with Richard Bank, Innovation Director with long experience in business management and leadership in his office in Gothenburg. Today I have an honored guest with me. Richard Bank is the innovation director at one of the biggest consulting firm in the Nordic countries and director of the Future Mobility Center in Holmstad University. Welcome, Richard.
1: Thank you, Dennis. Pleasure to be here. Uh,
0: I'm very happy to have you with us today. Uh, You are currently an innovation director at one of the most important IT, cybersecurity and technology consulting firm and work within Holmstad University. Can you tell us briefly about your positions and your journey so far? Well, you know,
1: innovation today is, is a word that everybody hears about. Uh, a few people mix them up. They, they think about innovation and invention. Uh, I mean, this is not really the same thing. Uh, in, inventions we'd have many years, but innovation is a big thing these days. Why? Well, because you need to include not only technical new products, but also uh, develop new business plans, address new uh, kind of users, new ecosystems, create uh, user experience and so on. And all of that is part of innovation and so much larger than invention. And uh, this is why this is such a big thing today. So uh, and this is also why both of my my duties and my roles at the at, uh, at uh, at my Combitech combi and, and also at the University of Hamster is uh, coinciding around uh, innovation. However, it's two totally different aspects of this. At, uh, at this work here at Combitech, I, uh, I typically don't innovate around any products of our own, but rather build uh, innovation capability mm-hmm. at our customers' organizations. Mm. And that is the thing. We help uh, customers become more... More innovative, innovate more and Mm. and continuously and more cross-functionally, even more radically. Uh, At the university, however, I lead an entirely new type of arena. An arena for innovating in the borderland between academia, industry, public sector, city planners. Because these parties seldom meet. And when they meet, it's basically, you know, exchange of information. Here we will actually innovate and create real products. Mm. So uh, this is based on principles of, of uh, that enables rapid and uh, cross-functional innovation. And, uh, entirely built ground up, uh, ground up from, from uh, creating win-wins for all the parties involved. Mm. Uh, we combine principles of, of agile and so-called effectuation mm-hmm. methodologies. And they, nobody else does that these days.
0: It mm-hmm. sounds very interesting. I would like to follow up as well. Where does this interest come from? Your interest for innovation, research, and uh, digitalization?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, innovation in general is, is the only way to survive in, in uh, the business world these days. Whatever you have in your product portfolio is soon copied. Mm-hmm. Plagiarized and, and uh, somehow, you know, uh, copied in maybe not the perfect quality that you once developed your products in, and eventually price dumped on the market. So nobody can really uh, survive these days on a unique product anymore. Mm-hmm. You need to continuously change and, and develop that product. So either it's incremental innovation or it's radical innovation where you, you, you know, you change the game entirely. Mm-hmm. But you need to change it all the time. That means that your, whatever product portfolio you have has a very short best before date. Mm. Uh, you don't know it in advance. You have to be careful of watching the market. This interests me. This is exactly my interest. Building business and maintaining business that can grow, whether it's from, from the startup level or from the industrial level, building business and staying in business in, in a globally fierce world. I've been working in, in many global companies mm. as well as local startups as well. So. Mm.
0: And I would also like to ask you, we hear a lot of expressions today as buzzwords. We talk about digital transformation, uh, digital business. Can you give us a brief uh, introduction to this expression and what what they mean? Yeah, well, I mean, digital in general, mm. uh, is it's not so very dramatic. It just means uh,
1: you know, in a format, information in a format so that the computer can handle it. Mm. That's basically what it means. Normally, it comes in the shape of electronic ones and zeros, but you don't need to care about that, we've got binary uh, representation, but it's in a format that computers can handle, that's the unique thing. Mm. That means that uh, digitization, mm. that means the, the process of converting the the whatever info you have in the real world into this format. Right. So digitization is making information digital, thereby in a format so that computers can use it. Very simple. Uh, however, uh, and that can be anything like scanning a picture or, or uh, collecting sensor data mm. or why not recording uh, voice input like mm. in this uh, interview right now. Mm. And um, so that, that's nothing magical about that. However, digitalization is digitization, mm-hmm. converted to computer format, plus Developing, you know, processes, business structure and all the things around it so that you make a larger user experience and a larger business value. Mm. That can mean that, that you, you know, you leave all processes behind you and and, uh, reshape your, your company entirely to, Mm. to make use of this. uh, Instead of just, you know, electrifying previous processes. Uh, You remember there was, there was an old terminology from a few decades back. They call um, e-commerce and, and uh, mm. e-business, e-business especially. Yeah. That was just about uh, you know making an electronic version of whatever you do today. Mm. So there's no rethinking in that. Uh, digitalization is rethinking the very foundation of, of uh, doing business in the digital world. Mm. So uh, and then to do your your question about digital transformation, well that means that you know to change. The the business activities and the structures of your company in such a way that you that you leverage on these digital media and and, uh, computer functions to to either solve problems or uh, automate manual tasks, or uh, often requires restructuring of the of the very organization, and uh, that you 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 know redesign your strategies and and uh, and definitely it requires you to change and adopt your culture of the Mm -hmm. organization. Uh, the last thing, c- the culture is, is turns out to be so much more important and, and very underestimated in most companies, mm. especially large uh, industry. Mm. We go straight for the technology and, and totally underestimate the power of culture when it comes to digitalization. Mm. So, uh, well, you know, that's you, that's why you see all the web tools and all the things mm. in companies that, that focus on
0: digitalization. Mm-hmm. but uh, you in your roles you meet a lot of uh, different uh, companies both large and small uh, what what should the companies think about in their digital transformation journey i mean are there some success criterias what's your view on this
1: yes well um, I mean to do to do uh, digital business uh, I mean that is um, you need to, to to focus on many things of course. Uh, but it turns out that focusing on, on user experience to create, I mean, to leave your the technical intricacies of your product alone for a while mm-hmm. and focus on the receiver, end receiver, the user, and create um, you know a large user experience. Right? It turns out that people demand this, mm-hmm. and, and they they actually spend more money if if uh, your product have an exceptional uh, user experience. So that is one thing to to focus on. Start on on, uh, focus on that. Uh, Also try to that is your offer to the outside world. Mm -hmm. Then the indoor uh, changes you need to do. Try to never you know introduce any manual tasks, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially those that recur frequently. Uh, If you do that, you sooner or later will have to change your behavior and. You know, redesign your processes to, to be more efficient, streamlined and, and so on. So try never to introduce them the first time. This goes, is the best advice I can give to startups, for example. Uh, try not to, to, to uh, copy all the things that you see that large companies do because they are struggling, deprogramming themselves to get, you know, rid of that behavior. And um, also I'd say think, think digital in everything you do. Uh, from the simple task to the most business critical. I mean, don't, don't let your processes leave the digital world unless absolutely necessary. That is, uh, I would say that that is some of the most essential parts of, of every single company, startup or mm. big company, think about. But again, as I said, don't estim- underestimate the uh, the power of the organizational culture. It is it is complex, uh, but it's, it's worthwhile. Uh, taking our chances to change that but uh, one reason why it's underestimated is that first it sounds like a soft Mm. uh, matter Uh, too soft to make a difference you want hard evidence money business models technology you know you want products on the shelf Uh, it doesn't matter if you have that if you can't sell them Mm. Um, and and if you can't uh, develop them in a way that is that is uh, you know Coherent with the world outside, you have the wrong culture. Uh, if you can't develop at the right pace, you can't update, uh, innovate at the right pace. You have the wrong culture.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, the second reason why it's so an underestimated, or, or you know, often put aside, is that organisational culture usually involves every single individual in the company. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean in, that they are affected in the same way, but no one, no stone is left, you know, unturned. And, you know, that includes management, upper management, even the CEO of the company, sometimes even the board. And uh, the higher up in the so-called pyramid you go, the higher the resilience is to change yourself. Normally, uh, the interest to change organization is high, but not yourself, to be part of
0: uh, I would like to just uh, stick a little bit on this question because we often also hear that continuous learning is very important in the this digital age, uh, because you have competitors that are digital natives. How important is it for the, the legacy, the traditional companies, to work with to educate their uh, their employees to to become more uh, digitally? Well, let's say like this. If you
1: invest heavily in, in your staff, in your employees, so that they are experts in a in, in field, that means that at any time that field changes for any reason because of external changes in the market, competition or internal uh, processes like, like innovation taking you in totally new direction. That means that those resources are not fit for that. So either you need to waste them entirely, really, really expensive. And, and really really difficult to get uh, you know hold of the right uh, competence these days in the market or you need to retrain them and if you need to retrain them at that time, you will need to basically take them out of business and you know retrain them off offline in, in a sense and then go back to business. but you can't stop your business right? That would be too hurtful to do that. Uh, also, how long does it take to re- retrain somebody to think in a different pathway? Well, 42 something, I don't know, 42 days, 42 months, mm-hmm. 42 years, I don't know. Some people may, maybe even can't be retaught or untaught old things. So the only solution is continuous learning. You need to apply a culture and the tools uh, at the organization of continuous learning so that you're always up to date with whatever is happening. Uh, technology-wise, methodology-wise, uh, even user interest. There's no one in the company that is untouched by that should be. Mm. In that way, you're always prepared for changes. And actually, you should always be in a mode of constant change. That is what continuous innovation is about. There's one prerequisite for for succeeding in continuous innovation. Always be in a continuous mode of change. And, you know, it's so nice also... You don't have to, as a CEO of a company, roll out an organizational change, which everybody hates. Because you're always in there, in that state of change. And you will learn to do it and love it. Mm.
0: And, and, and this uh, form of transfer- transformation, I know that you have talked a lot about, about agile organizations. So, But my question is really, why should companies mm. embrace the agile thinking? Well, you know, it allows business to better handle
1: uh, deviations from entirely new products. Mm. And uh, with larger, larger unknown portions, that is, that is the superpower of, of agile, and uh, it's also needed in order to take a differentiated look at problems, which is essential to innovation. Mm. So you know, if you if you just want to develop one product and then manufacture it by by you know mass production, like old time physical products that didn't contain any electronic or or software content at all, I would say that agile wouldn't. Give you so much. Uh, maybe not, wouldn't be worth the extremely large um, change that you need to go through from being an old time, uh, you know, agile. Oh, I mean, a, a waterfall company to turn into agile. But, um, so I, I would say in that case, stay in the waterfall lane if you're just that. But how many companies in Sweden am I talking to right now? Well, not many, if any. Because all mass production has already left our country. Mm. We're talking about something that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago.
2: Mm.
1: We were in the the uh, you know front line of, of global uh, R&D when it came to manufacturing. But it's no longer here. And it won't come back. Mm. Uh, it's just either it, it is disappearing to countries which have low cost or it's automated away. So it won't come back. So for that reason, I would urge any company old or new, to anyway focus on becoming agile. Mm -hmm. That is how you can master the unknown and the constant changes we're talking about. As a matter of fact, the the continuous learning we're talking about Mm -hmm. is part of agile uh, culture as well. But you should should think of agile in two different ways. There's, you know, agile methodologies. Things like Scrum and things that you do in cross-functional teams. Then there's organizational agility. That is the the power of the entire organization in your company to be able to handle these constant changes without being, you know, clogged down by a rigid plan that forbids you to, to change along the way. Mm. That is, is what is demanding the, the culture I'm talking about. Organizational agility is the key to this.
2: Mm.
0: And I, and I also believe that we can learn a lot from this from uh, digital startups and young companies. And I know that you have also worked with a lot of young companies. Uh, what is important to drive a digital business? If you are, a, you have an idea that you want to develop, or you are a young uh, startup.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, first, yeah, you should drive the business, of course. Mm-hmm. But I would start by gathering the people around you okay. to make mm-hmm. it. I mean, if you have an idea, uh, try to find people around you that buys in on that vision. Uh, don't don't make it complicated by by you know. Making a business plan like old days, and and uh, go out and and uh, you know uh, do a financial journey, to, you know to raise funding, and then use that to recruit people, and then write a, a plan of how to develop the product and put people to work, and and then one day you have something to show off to the market. It'll be too late. Mm. I mean, somebody else will find it, or, or the window of opportunity has closed. Start with what you have in your hands. And make sure you know what you have in your own hands. Then complete that with with people around you and what they have in their hands. Mm. Team up in that sense, and then start prototyping immediately. Who knows? Maybe you can you can make something uh, you know with you or your friends or your peers that you Mm. can you know that you can somehow make interested in your in your vision. And also be open. Be very very open to the other parties in in your team if they have other opinions or ideas regarding this vision. Mm. I mean, this is not just to be nice. This is to make the vision and the product stronger and the, 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 um, the likelihood that the business will
0: survive much higher. Mm. And I know that you also have worked as a CEO for many years. How do you evaluate the potential of an idea, of a business idea? What do you look for?
1: why why should you value that <laughs> that's my, my question the why should you value put value on an idea mm-hmm. what does it mean really is it for uh, I mean if you're an investor yeah yeah and you're looking for a good financial return then maybe you should you should look at that and, and then you, then you can focus on on um, well you know the ability of this idea to spread Uh Focus on spread. And that's my absolute uh, advice. Mm-hmm. The size of the user base or, or the ecosystem around it. What is the potential size of the user base and ecosystem around this idea? Mm-hmm. When it works? Um, envision that's that state in the future when, when it's out there and, and it's successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is for, for the investor. For everybody else, don't focus so much on evaluating the, the idea. Uh, instead, you know, run with it. With whatever you have today, let it fly and try it on a user base instead. Mm-hmm. That is the value that you need. If you, you get value from that because in two ways. One, by, you know, trying to sell in your vision to people around you, people you meet, business and, and friends and whatever, uh, you get the first evaluation. If you can't sell that in, maybe it was too complicated. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just plain wrong. Uh, you know, in that case, go and give it another shot or Talk to people that you meet, uh, uh, in this case, that found it not so, you know, exciting as you and see if it could be modified. So that's the first evaluation. Can you convince others about around you about this uh, grandness? Secondly, when you start prototyping building, try it immediately uh, on, on real end users mm. and see if you can make them wowed by this. That is your second evaluation. Mm. So focus on that and you will have a rapid way forward. Uh, I guarantee you, you'll have the highest chance of succeeding with your business. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, I would like to go back to one question we talked about, was innovation. Uh, Companies that uh, today want to innovate in this digital era, Uh, often we see traditional companies open offices in Silicon Valley. Do you think that's the right way to become more innovative? It could be. I mean... uh
1: Silicon Valley in there, you you don't get anything for free, Mm. but you do exactly what I said here in in, the last sentence. You surround yourself with lots of people and companies that you could, you know, run around and sell innovation to. You can grow your network there so that people can adhere to your your ideas. Mm. So it's not, it's not a a bad thing, actually. This is probably the reason uh, that, that, and a lot of companies claim that they didn't exhilarate their business until they moved to Silicon Valley. A lot of people don't really know why and what they did. They just know that, yeah, I followed that advi- advice and it worked. Mm-hmm. But, you know, imagine the opposite. Let's say that you take your or bring your idea to a very remote place. I mean, it's you and and, and, and a herd of, of sheep or goat out there and nobody else. So, um, how far do you think you can bring your idea there? How far do you think you can test your ideas out there? Well, I mean you need to surround yourself with skilled people. Mm. People that are not only technically skilled, but uh but also willing to, you know, make your vision come true.
2: Mm.
1: That is the, the the first I would say principle to test for. Are people around you so interested in your idea that they are willing to make you and help you make it come true.
0: Mm. But in this case, what I what I mean is that if a company send some people to one place like Silicon Valley, yeah. how? But how do you make the whole company m- become more? Uh, to talk about innovation, to become more innovative, I, we have heard that, for example, that Google uh, let the employees spend some some time to to work on different ideas that is not uh, connected to the current business. Yeah. Do, do you have any advices how companies can integrate the whole the all employees to become more innovative and think about uh, future innovations? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can
1: send off any number of people to to uh, to slide like that from a company, but if you're not all there, you won't be affected by the culture that you pick up. You probably will pick up a new, a uh, couple of new technologies and you make a couple of new partners that you do business with. But then, and you bring that back home to your big giant industrial corporation. And uh, so that is the finding you, you get with it, but you won't change anything at home in your, mm-hmm. in your, your company. You won't have a grassroots change of culture or innovation capabilities. Uh, if you're a small company, however, I urge you to either follow with this team to Silicon Valley or Shenzhen or whatever mm, yeah. it is uh, to to um, you know to get that influence. I mean, maybe not all of their company entirely at the same time, but but you know, try to follow this so that you all get the same same uh, influence and the same experience of mm. this, and also give this very high attention in your company, not only from from. You know, product development uh, aspects, but also from the the way that people work, Mm. the way that people, uh, you know, collaborate around this co-creation. So uh, those are the things that are really hard to master. Most startups have this from the beginning, but lose it along the way when they, when they grow because they don't guard this superpower, Mm. but it is a superpower and you lose it if you don't guard it. Mm. Uh, Many, many large scale companies are now paying Enormous amounts of money to get that power back again. Mm. But it is really very much more difficult to to rebuild it in in a large company. So instead, there are entirely different paths to focus on in order to get a large-scale company to be more innovative. And I wouldn't say that uh, more innovative uh, is not necessarily the end goal. I would say that becoming, if you're a large-scale company or a medium... Mm. To, a, to to master continuous innovation is more important, uh, for the reason that uh, I said before, n- none of your products in your portfolio will last forever. So already before, I mean, when you see the copycats out there you know, starting to to, to uh, plagiarize this and and uh, dump the market full of, of low price uh, you know products that have mm-hmm. the same features at the this product, you spend an enormous amount of, of uh, research and development behind. Exit the game at that time. Give it up, because you will never get margins back again. When once they start, uh, you know, pumping out these cheap products, the reason is not because it's cheap, but because at that time, the market, the users are becoming are seeing this this unique feature all the in all products It's becoming a commodity and when the feature or product uh, part becomes commodity end users are not willing to pay anything for it anymore they just expect it to be in there there's nothing for you to do there except uh, sell off your patents or license it out to those copycats yes they are your enemies benefit on that Sell your uh, patents or license out your technologies to those, and then return back to the innovation room at your own company as fast as you can uh, and and redirect all your resources to that instead, and start re it to, to be you know ready for the next step. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't start going back to that room at, until this is this is the fact. you should always have people in the innovation room so that you don't innovate run one product and then follow it all the way to the market and then close that project and then you know start a new innovation after that. But have multiple innovation projects starting and running continuously. Mm-hmm. That is the continuous innovation mode, that's the way to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as a theory, but that's how the big dragons do it. Mm-hmm. That's how Apple, Google and Amazon and Facebook, that's how they work. Mm-hmm. That's how they survive. Tencent Alibaba.
2: Mm.
0: And I know that a couple of years ago you had a presentation where you talked about disruptive versus breakthrough technology. Can you just uh, shortly give us the, the main takeaways? Well, what is the difference between these two terms? Yeah, well, I mean, breakthrough products it's
1: just is this just, just uh, mm. some new, sudden, suddenly new product, mm. okay? So it's a breakthrough. Uh, it might be that it's just a breakthrough uh, in your in your development as well, but a breakthrough product is just a new, suddenly new product okay but disruptive products those are products that are actually you know they they knock out previous products from the market based on entirely new concept or business models for example uber they they uh, disrupt the uh, traditional taxi business why is that well i mean they don't even need to own a taxi fleet <laughs> i mean this is this is super digital uh they don't need to inter- even interview a single taxi driver in the world. They just let loose the app, and people, we you know, jump onto the wagon, and, and then most of the parts after that are fully automatic. So that is really a disruptive business when it comes to taxi. Airbnb, in a similar way, results in traditional, I mean, it disrupts traditional hotel businesses. And uh, why not uh, uh, take an example from something that matters in our region, around Gothenburg, Tesla and their electronic vehicle cars. Yes, we had electronic vehicles before. We had, uh, you know, Toyota, Prius, uh, Hybrid, and so on. But what Tesla does is making, as um, should I say, the physical parts of that car is just a, a, a platform for housing digital services. So you you basically buy um, four wheels with included the electronic drive and and a large you know battery connected. And then on top of that, everything else is built and rebuilt and re-innovated day after day after day. This totally disrupts the business of traditional gas engine cars. Not because the gas is exchanged for uh, you know, electronics and batteries, but because they rebuild the entire uh, foundation of, of, of uh, you know, building a car. So so that is what, what disrupt, disruption is about. You can disrupt yourself as well. There are definitely companies that um, do that. I mean, um, even even bigger, bigger, small ones. Uh, Apple, for example, if you stay that, to that example, they basically disrupted themselves in, in a sense when they Introduced the iPhone because iPhone became so much more than a phone. It became a, a computer in your pocket. So in a sense, they found a totally new way of of, of connecting people to the internet you know, using the computer for everyday tasks. That you know basically made them uh, not needing a computer anymore, which was something that Apple themselves had in the product portfolio. However, they knew about this. You can disrupt yourself. So they were very careful of how to roll this out so that not to cannibalize on the previous business. And from rumors, what I hear, they had a new, Apple had a new uh, disruptive uh, product going on that will really change the game again. Mm. And it might, uh, well, it will definitely disrupt themselves again. But mm. it's a rumor. Yeah.
0: But, but to conclude this, Richard, I, we have in Gothenburg, we have a lot of traditional companies, we are good at manufacturing cars, trucks. So, if you could give one advice to, let's say, Volvo, for example, to become disruptive, what would that be? I mean, you need you need to
1: let go of, of um, the old way of, of thinking that your products will last forever. That is the first thing. And And the second thing is that you need to You need to let go of innovation in the definition of, you know, incremental inventions. And um, also, you need to let go of of, um, thinking of software as something that you slap on in the end or possibly add along the way. You need to think about the digital possibilities already from the start. And um, don't just think about them around the truck. I mean... um, you can you can uh, you can think of yourself as, as uh, you know just a car manufacturer, or you can think of yourself as somebody who is you know transporting people safely and conveniently mm. between different points. And in the second definition, uh, the opportunities for digitalization and thereby disruptive innovation is so much larger. Mm. But again, don't leave corporate culture, organizational culture out of the game. You won't succeed with a hierarchical, old-style, industrial, uh, organizational culture. You just won't.
0: Yeah, uh, I will also take the time to ask some more general questions because I know that you have an overview from both academia and industry regarding digitalization and innovation. So how does Sweden measure itself with the rest of the world when it comes to digitalization from your point of view?
1: Well, I mean, you, you can... You can study these from, from many different aspects. And I know that, uh, was it the OECD that had the, they have an annual report. And I think it was last year that, uh, Sweden was announced as a world, one world leader in digitalization. Uh, and yes, 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 we have a, quite a good internet infrastructure. We have 3G and 4G in most parts of Sweden. And I think it's, uh, 90% of Swedish households are Plan to have, um, you know, 100 megabits per second in uh, internet next year, 2020. Uh, and it was the original promise was 100, but 90% is good enough. So, I mean, and we consume a lot of digital data. No, no question about it. We own a lot of, of digital gadgets, every single one of us, uh, not only in our pockets, but our homes are slowly becoming digitalized as well. Uh, but most of this is supplied by foreign companies. So I'm talking about the infrastructure is good and the consumption and, and the, the readiness of the consumers is good. We're not afraid of digitalization as consumers. However, when it, come, and when it comes to two other parts, when it comes to cybersecurity, we are simply too gullible and sometimes even naive. And, and uh, we believe everybody is good at heart, which is principally nice, of course, uh, but also extremely dangerous. Uh, it's bad enough if only a single person or a single nation in the world exploits this. Uh, we can't just look at statistics anymore. It's enough if one single person exploits us. We are in a dangerous situation. Uh, when you go, for example, when you go buy uh, a movie ticket at uh, SF Movie Theater, which which most Swedish people do, right, at some time or the other, and you buy it online and, and you. Uh, you immediately see that you get the discount if you sign up and become for membership, right? Uh, and most people do that as well. Of course, you get the discount. Sure. We don't want that. But the membership requires you to state your personal identification number, which most people do. They're willing to give that off. Mm-hmm. Now, SF Movie is Chinese today mm-hmm. since three years back. Mm-hmm. Think about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, so um, there that, that is a, a, a big danger. But said uh, before, there, there are two parts that we lag behind when it comes to digitalization in Sweden. And the second is, is uh, um, you know, actually doing business, not just consuming or having infrastructure. And uh, I see there's a big separation between the old and the new companies. Very, very few of our traditional companies from the 1990s and back and so on uh, have successfully transformed into digital business. And, and if you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, any any role model of digital businesses, you should look at startups. Mm. That's where you have the role models in Sweden. It seems like the old backpack of, you know, the industrial layer is simply too heavy. And, of course, there are some exceptions, mm. and, and I really cherish those. Uh, so, uh, in general, Sweden is gradually losing its mm. big traditional companies to newer international digital business. And in that sense, we are not off in such a good shape. We're simply stuck in the old industrial era, still focusing too much on manufacturing and physical products first. Even, as we said before, training and and recruiting people from that. Uh, The countries that dominate global business, they focus on digital services first. Mm. So, uh, However, of course, there are are many new young startups that seem to, to master this already from the start their leaders and employees they were born into the digital way of thinking mm. uh, we should let them inspire us and actually follow them mm.
0: yeah and and you also talked about here a little bit about the ethical and the security aspect of this and i know today we have a huge current trend regarding artificial intelligence uh, can you t- t- talk us, uh, go us through through a little bit when it comes to the ethical principles uh, regarding artificial intelligence. How important is this is this? Well I mean we, we actually we can't decide anymore on mm-hmm. that.
1: We've lost the, the um we passed the point of of, of uh, where we have a decision. Anyway. Mm-hmm. We have uh, AI has as you know um <laughs> uh, Penetrated so much of everything we do already today. Although it's very simple and crude AI these days, um, we passed the point where we cannot leave, you know, ethics out of the question. Uh, I had uh, recently, only two weeks ago, I had the honor of hosting an event with Swedsoft, uh, which is one of the most leading uh, uh, software or software development organizations in Sweden, uh, where the um, uh, Bishop of the Swedish Church, uh, Johan Tillbä was present, mm. and uh, he reasoned that that uh, if humans are mere uh, flesh mm. robots, then and uh, why shouldn't we respect electronic robots? Then, if if uh, if they some in some way develop intelligence like us, mm. I mean, does it matter if it's made of flesh or if it's made of electronics? If it's a uh, moving part that has an intelligent way of thinking it should be respected it should be included so ethics cannot be left out of the picture he also revealed that he personally thinks that it would be unethical not to develop weaponized AI can you imagine He's the bishop of Church of Sweden. He has a very good way of of, uh, arguing for that as well. But my point is that regardless of what ethics are right or wrong, it doesn't matter uh, for you personally, we cannot disregard the questions of ethics when it comes to software anymore. It's well known uh, by now that AI controlling autonomous cars uh, will be able to handle situations where they are faced with ethical
0: dilemmas and just to follow up on this but today we have a lot of application let's say uh, video surveillance for example camera face recognition and also like daily application like taking a bank loan how how should we as a consumers or private citizens uh, think about this what's your advice to us should we ask uh, about the algorithm to become more transparent uh, what's your advice on this
1: yeah um, the algorithms don't don't really give us so much. Actually, mm-hmm. the the AI researchers don't even themselves know how the algorithms internally work. Mm-hmm. When when an uh, AI network is fully trained, sometimes researchers spend you know months and months just to understand what really happened inside that neural network that was trained. How did, does it do this? We just you know we we show off data. And we show off, and we train the, the algorithms in such a way that it uh, behaves the way we like it, and in the sense that it draws conclusions and it associates data to some, you know, uh, behavior or some some tags we put to it. But we have no idea how those connections are at the end. So that wouldn't give us much as a consumer. Instead, I would say focus on one thing as a consumer, and that is that the uh, um, transparency when it comes to how data is stored, used and stored about you. And also, keep fighting for as as I mean we all even as developers, we are consumers as well. So keep fighting for the ownership of data. You own the data that belongs to you and yourself—the things that are produced by you, your behavior, your consumer patterns, or whatever—we talk about digital footprints. Aren't they are yours? Mm. Keep fighting for them as yours. And um, uh, of course, if you—if other companies want to use them, that's great. okay. But you own them. And if they use something as yours, they need to show how they use it. and they have to show uh, where they use it and when they use it. GDPR is a very, very good step on this, but it, it's a complicated you know, set of paragraphs. It doesn't help you and me down in the streets. So I will mm-hmm. stick to these two advice just mm.
0: And also many people state that this transformation may m- mean fewer jobs and uh, that uh, artificial intelligent applications can replace humans. Uh, what's your view on this?
1: Well, they move. They will most probably steal jobs. Yes, they will. Uh, But for a foreseeable future, it will also most likely leave room for creation of of new jobs for a foreseeable future. Uh, So, you know, probably not fewer jobs in in the following couple of decades. It will, however, push human jobs forward, you know, into the corners where AI cannot reach today when it comes to, comes to, you know, creativity, Logical reasoning and things like that. So human jobs will have to be, you know, pushed into those corners where they cannot be replaced by, by AI. And, you know, that is a corner which is gradually shrinking. So, um, yes, it, it sounds uh, maybe like uh, going in the opposite way that uh, you read in the newspapers. I say in the long run, I'm afraid the answer will be yes, fewer jobs, but it will it'll be, you know, in, in, uh, decades from now. But when I say jobs, I mean in the conventional sense of occupation. Uh, We don't necessarily have to stay that way. I mean, there are so many more interesting things you can do in your life than just commuting to job or sitting in an office, right? So uh, depending on how you redefine your reason for, for existing, your way forward in life, your way of surviving, if that is the defin- definition of, of, of a job, it doesn't necessarily have to be in danger of these, these uh, you know uh, duties that can be automated away mm-hmm. by AI.
0: And uh, just follow up on that: How important do you think policies are? Uh, because we we all, I, I read uh, uh, last month that uh, it can be needed to have some kind of tax on robots. How important is it that the policies we we have in our de- dem- democracy? To follow this uh, development, for for example, artificial intelligence and new disruptive technologies. Yeah, I, I'm all
1: for you know free market, but up to a certain, how should say, intelligent level, <laughs> and uh, also up until to to a certain ethical and and, and uh, fairness level, hmm. uh, and and a totally free market without any control mechanisms. Uh, Doesn't necessarily, you know, take those two latter parts into into account, especially fairness and and the ethics as well. So I I believe that yes, uh, policies can be good, not for uh, as much controlling the limits as much as helping us in the transformation between what we have today and going forward. So these are transformational tools, so that. You know, the technology doesn't roll aw- and the business round it doesn't roll away so fast that we don't have time to, mm-hmm. to, you know, reflect on what the consequences are. Those are the times when it's good to have some, some principles to guide us or, or maybe rules and regulations or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, however, that uh, politicians of today are, you know, capable to, to do that on their own. Uh, they're simply lagging behind when it comes to knowledge uh, about this this technology and the consequences has on society. No one has. This has to be something that we do together with our politicians. So policies uh, and politicians sounds uh, like a, like a dangerous mix to me if they're left alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Richard, I would like to end with the uh, last question is that uh, what is your trend scouting around artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, automation and other digital technologies? What's your... Yeah. This.
1: Well, you know, trend scouting is always a little bit of guesswork as well. You see things and you're trying to draw conclusions. What can come from this? Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, that uh, these technologies I'm talking about, they will soon melt together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will no longer speak on them separately. They will also merge with, with 5G uh, in, in the very near future. In the same way that computers and phones have merged with internet. You don't consider them two different things today. I mean, any phone, any computer is automatically considered connected. They are merged with Internet. In the same way, I think this tech will, will uh, merge. Uh, I believe that um, uh, the trends when it comes to augmented reality and virtual reality, uh, we are just in the startup. Uh, this will become a very large trend. And I believe that you know if you go down to specifics, that AR glasses, for example, uh, they, they they will go a second round and now be introduced not only as you know fancy gadgets but actually useful tools and uh, especially ar glasses that can continuously and transparently feed us with relevant data uh, by just analyzing our needs and, our, and uh, our current situation without giving them a single command imagine you put on uh, AR glass and this is actually what what the rumor is saying about Apple that they are now entering the AR glasses business and they will uh, it will change the game so much that it will actually disrupt their own iPhone business. So imagine you put these AR glasses on. You just wear them. Nobody can see what you see. So you have a private channel in there and it keeps feeding you information in in the in the edges that is relevant to enhance your current situation. It listens to the conversations going on. It knows your calendar because you make it available. Uh, it knows your habits. So it can assist you along the way and give you, you know, powerful support without you doing anything. You can neglect that information or you could use it and involve it in your everyday actions, discussions, like you and me right now. Uh, no teleprompter for the, for the speakers anymore, but they, you know, and everybody will have that. So it'll be like a new like a superpower of of not maybe intelligence in, in in the sense of logic intelligence, but fact intelligence. People will have fact, relevant fact available uh, at at um, any situation. So that is, I think, what can happen. In a few decades, uh, we will be able to possibly directly interface with this uh, digital system with our minds, even. I mean, there are lots of, of, in one way or another, there's lots of experiments going on in the cybernetic interfaces and so on. And I think that will, it, that will definitely find its way through in a couple of decades. And, um, whether it's to communicate with digital systems or enhance your biological systems, I don't know, but, uh, it'll come. And the combination of these two classes of interventions will radically alter the needs and roles of us as humans. Mm-hmm. It will blow the lines between the living and the artificial. And, and, uh, I mean, both functionally and ethically.
0: But to end with this, it's, it's exciting times we live in, right?
1: Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, but again, this won't happen the year 2020. Mm. It might be that some gadgets come, but uh, first, humanity need to adopt to this. If we have the right policies, we'll adopt mm. at the right pace. If we have the right innovation capabilities at our companies and, our you know, thinking, mm digital, uh, already from, from the start and from the ground up, we will be able to make business on this and the change that will transform, you know, our, our generation will Mm -hmm. come. It will probably take it a decade or two. Mm -hmm. That will
0: come. Sounds interesting. Richard, I want to thank you for being here today and sharing your knowledge and experience. Uh, how can people reach you if they want to contact you?
1: Well, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. So uh, there are not many people called Richard Bunk. <laughs> Bunk is is a, is a family name, which is kind of. But I'm also, um, as I said before, working at the uh, University of Hanstad. Mm-hmm. So um, people can find me there, and um, uh, you know, I, I live as I breathe in the, in the digital space. I'm not difficult to find out there. Uh, and then, of course they can find me through your pod, right?
0: Yes, I will share the link with you for for your LinkedIn uh, so people can uh, connect. uh, But uh, thank you very much, Richard.
1: Please do that. Thank Thank you. Thank you. All right.